to Welfare Enterprise. This week, you have your usual co-hosts, Dominic, Lilac, and Zach. Mike sends his apologies, but the lucky dog got his second virus shot and is feeling a little bit under the weather because of that. But we also have special guest Grace Marshall with us. Uh, So Grace and I go way back, as we were just discussing before we started recording. She has written the award-winning book, How to Be Really Productive, which is a title I like because it describes the content of the book very nicely. And her actual job title is as a productivity ninja, which puts many IT job titles to shame. She works for a company called Think Productive, so you kind of get where she's going, what her whole thing is. So welcome to the podcast, Grace. Thanks for coming. Thanks so much for having me. So the big reason why I invited Grace was a couple of episodes ago, we discussed how we were all struggling to stay focused on work during pandemic times and with kids underfoot and being remote and not being able to travel and, 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 and it just all piled up because we've been doing this for a year. And just as I was posting that episode live, I saw Grace's update that she had written a new book called Struggle, which is all about uh, how to be productive in difficult times and how to get through that moment of difficulty, get over the hump. But uh, Grace, why don't you tell us a little bit about the book, where it comes from, and also you may disclose the subtitle at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the the full title is Struggle, the Surprising Truth, Beauty and Opportunity Hidden in Life's Shittier Moments. And it's actually an idea I had back in 2018, but it turns out 2020 was the perfect year to write a book about struggle as we're all facing it and we've all been facing it. So for me, it was really to explore a side that um, I felt like productivity as we currently see it doesn't explore. So when we're thinking of productivity, we think of speed, we think of efficiency, we think think of getting things done. Um, And yet the words I'm struggling are often seen as the opposite of being productive. And yet what I noticed was there are certain times when we struggle where actually it's not a quick fix that we need. Um, And it's not actually a sign that something's wrong. It's just a sign that we're doing something new or we're dealing with something difficult. And, um, And actually our whole approach to struggle, the way we kind of see it as either a sign of weakness or a sign of failure, doesn't give the full picture of struggle and also doesn't give the full picture of productivity. So that's why I wanted to dive into the topic a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's what attracted me to the book, because a lot of productivity discourse, and some people call it struggle porn on LinkedIn, is all about just, you know, my to-do list is bigger than yours, and I get up at 5am and run 20 miles and shave a yak uh, before I go drink my artisanal kombucha. Well, you only run 20 miles, I run 40 miles and shave three yaks over <laughs> It just starts to get a bit too much for someone like me who's honestly just trying to get through the day. <laughs> and so it's, it's just refreshingly honest. I, I really like that. It's also lined up so amusingly with uh, a book that Lilac gave me a long time ago, the Dr. Seuss book. Uh, do, you, do you remember this, Lilac? Do I? <laughs> I'm not sure that I do. <laughs> the Places You'll Go. You oh, gave I me. love that book. Yes, of course. Yeah. And, and there is the moment in the middle where the, the protagonist, I don't remember if we ever actually hear the protagonist's name. We don't name. get a name. No, right. we get a gender, unfortunately, much to my chagrin, but we don't get a name. We get stuck. And uh, it's talking about how, you know, there's there's value in getting stuck as long as you you take it the right way. Otherwise, you you remain stuck. You remain in the doldrums. But you can also use that as a moment to get out of a rut that you're in. 
Another thing that I really liked was the very human aspect that you give to it and you bring your family and your kids and your husband into it and talking about how talking through issues with someone else can get you unstuck. And so do you want to go into that a little bit more, how that works? Yeah, so I think this particular bit um, was about what I noticed uh, for my husband. So he's he's fairly senior and fairly experienced in what he does. He's worked in, in the industry for many, many years. And um, what I noticed was that he kept getting interrupted uh, because more junior developers would go, hey, can you help me with this? Or um, what do you think about this? And he would get all these questions coming in and he wanted to help them. But um, it was getting to the point where he wasn't getting enough of his own work done. And I'm sure I'm seeing some nods around the room. So I think, yeah, that that kind of resonates with a lot of people. And and it was really interesting because when I was talking to him about it, he said, actually, I don't really give them the answers that much. I just allow them to talk it through. So, you know, they come to me and I go, well, okay, what have you tried? And what's going on? And what do you think? And given that moment to actually just talk it through, they can usually come up with their own answers. And this is something they could probably do without interrupting him. But they work in an environment where they're measured by speed. They're measured by how quickly can you get things done? So when you're in that environment, it's far more tempting to go, do you know what, I can get that answer quickly by asking someone rather than working it out myself. I'm going to ask someone. And this is something that I'm sure many of our audience have experienced or at least seen in action because it's a known pattern in IT, especially in developer type roles, to the point that there's also a known fix, which is the the rubber duck or the teddy bear. And the rule is that you have to verbalize your question to the rubber duck, the teddy bear, whatever your particular team's mascot is, before you can talk to an actual person. And the joke goes, but it's one of those ha-ha-only serious jokes, that most of the time people get halfway through verbalizing their problem and go, oh, no, wait, never mind. And they realize that by verbalizing the problem, they've they've figured it out. They've uh, identified what the block was. And it often doesn't require that, that really senior person. It doesn't require also a fix. Uh, and I think that also speaks to, if you'll forgive me for uh, gender stereotyping for a moment, a stereotypically female approach to productivity. Uh, it's well known that if you give a problem to a guy, the guy will try to fix it. So he'll try to come up with the technical fix, the patch for this terrible problem. And the often the female approach is not that. It is more to empathize and communicate and not necessarily to uh, to go off and start to building something, uh, a machine <laughs> to fix the, this problem. That's something that I think is particularly applicable in IT, perhaps being such a stereotypically male occupation in all of the ways that we've discussed in the past. I'm, I'm just going to let you have that one, Dominic. But, uh, you know, that's a whole separate podcast. <laughs> we can talk about how I absolutely am the opposite of that. And I've recognized it and had to take a step back. But I, I actually, Grace, I'd like to ask you sort of a follow up on this, because one of the things that I, I have a I have a, an iPhone blowing up with a number of different group chats, like, it, like to the point that I have to keep track of who I'm talking to because I can put my foot in it pretty badly. And in there, though, there is almost a consistent theme of, can I just say this here? I'm not expecting a reply from you or a triage, but like, let me just talk. Let me just write all my words in here. And I'm a writer, so not like you a writer, but like a, I, I think by writing. And, um, and, and so therefore, 
my inclination is to is to text it actually not speak it and and i actually think that that serves the function and to a great extent of talking to a teddy bear um but i think i need to go through that and i think my friends that do this too need need to actually verbalize it are you suggesting that that maybe not maybe i i could i could find this in my own headspace because it's a mess up here <laughs> no i think i think verbalizing it is good i think finding ways of verbalizing it because what what you do is you slow things down then and you then actually see what you're dealing with um rather than just go i need to you know i need to jump to the solution straight away um and you know i was i was recording um a podcast uh earlier this week actually where we were talking about a particular type of struggle and um for the person i was talking to she's you know once she said it out loud she was like Ah, oh, and now that I've said it out loud, I know that's completely bollocks. Yeah, and that was her words. Because <laughs> sometimes it's not until we say it out loud that we realise, ah, oh, okay, this thing that's been like getting at me, actually, you know, it, it's it's something I can, once I know what I'm dealing with, I can then find a way around it, or I find that I don't need to find a way around it at all. It's like the famous cartoon, and they're the two cave persons, and they're pushing along these square wheels, and the other cave person is saying, look, I came up with something. It's a round wheel. And then, no, 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 we're too busy. We don't have time to look at that. <laughs> and it's, it's a little bit like that. You can get wrapped around the axle. You're looking for a solution that you expect to have a particular shape. And you start, you know, in the IT world, you start going reading the docs, but you're looking for a particular thing and you're not finding it. So you're not finding it and getting frustrated. And you step back and you verbalize the problem. And suddenly, oh, wait, I was looking at this completely the wrong way. So I think yeah, verbalizing it is is important. I don't know if writing it down would work quite the same way, Lilac. Writing it down to someone else. To someone. I can't just write it myself. Yes. Yeah. It's the communication. And even when I want to write it down to no one, I write it down in sort of the form of like a memo to Dominic. There has to be an audience somehow. I, I can't explain why, at least for me. I don't know if you find that consistently grace yeah i think there's something about when you're communicating it to somebody else we tend to articulate it differently whereas when we're just saying it to ourselves we we kind of tend to go around in loops um yeah and 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 i think the other thing about communicating it as well and articulating it is that um there's a great quote i really like by carl Jung, who says that until you make the unconscious conscious it will rule your life and you will call it fate and so it's like uh, what we tend to do well, when we're struggling with something is quite often we fall into like a fight or flight response to struggle. Either this is a battle that I just need to hustle on through and beat, or it's a trap that I need to avoid and I need to run away from. And so what that will end up with is in productivity terms is either you get something like email rage, which is like road rage, but with email, where you're just like, this is a battle I need to fight, or you end up with procrastination. It's like, I don't want to look at it right now. I'll go do something easier. I'll go check my emails. And, um, and so either way, it's not a great way of dealing with struggle because you're not actually looking at the problem itself. So when you notice that and you can start to go, okay, um, what am I actually dealing with here? And what, what does my lizard brain, what does that kind of primitive part of my brain tell me I'm dealing with in terms of it's telling me it's a threat, it's telling me it's a trap, but actually what else could it be? And that's one of the failure modes, I think, of a lot of the productivity discourse. It's this undifferentiated productivity. And sometimes the thing is, I have this one big thing that I have to do. And in order not to feel unproductive, I instead spend my time on lots of little busy work 
tasks in normal times, my travel expenses or something like that. So this past year, that hasn't seemed to be quite such a big factor. But <laughs> yeah, the, the phrase is like, eat the frog, right? Like, that's what I, in my, my last team, I'd be like, Who are we? let's eat the frog, let's do it. Like that one horrible thing. And I don't know where that phrase comes from, but it sounds disgusting. And I think it actually is evocative of the emotions that we have here unless you're French, in which case maybe that sounds great. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it comes from a Mark Twain quote, although there is also a book by Brian Tracy called Eat That Frog. And the idea is if you eat a frog for breakfast, everything afterwards is going to taste sweet. (laughs) (laughs) So you get that unpleasant thing out the way. But I think the frog is a really good um, metaphor as well, because the longer you leave it, the worse it's going to smell. Um, and so you know, sometimes when you finally get around to eating it, you go, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So something I often encourage people to do is to not just eat a frog for breakfast, but maybe have a frog hunting accountability buddy. So you have someone that you, you, know, you share your frog with or even teams I know have done like frog hour where they confess their frog into the circle and then they have to go away and eat it. I think what's what's difficult right now for a lot of people that are that are struggling because we're over a year now into this pandemic is is I, I think a lot of them feel isolated right they're not in an office mm-hmm. they don't talk to anybody and they they feel like wow is it probably is it just me you know who else is going through this so you know just I think your book would be phenomenal for people to understand to your point right that that this is normal and I think people need to hear that so even that analogy of you know uh, speaking to your boss or speaking to somebody. Now it's on video. Some people don't feel comfortable at video. Ironically, I had a conversation with a former coworker and she's a wonderful person. And, um, you know, of course I won't mention her name, but she kind of broke down because she felt like, Oh, I've gained some weight through this pandemic. I don't feel like I'm being productive and all this other stuff. And it just made me realize that, wow, like everybody's, everybody's going through something, but nobody's really comfortable, I guess, maybe talking about it. I don't know, but I think this is a, uh, a timely topic i'll just say that yeah the normalization of struggle is i think a, an important thing and it's amazing quite how many of my regular catch-ups with colleagues over the past uh, year have started to include longer and longer sections that are not about the ostensible agenda it's about wow it's really tough right now <laughs> and this is the sort of stuff that we would you know previously be able to talk about uh, in the bar after the meeting or whatever. And now that life is just back-to-back meetings and then you sleep and start again, <laughs> you end up doing it that way. Well, I actually wonder, so Grace, I'm going to ask you, this is something I have noticed is that we perceive other people's struggle differently than our own. And so like mm-hmm. somebody once said to me, you're comparing your insides to someone else's outsides. And that absolutely is like a quote that has resonated with me forever. And one of the ways that that manifests in, in companies is by leadership tier, right? So we look up and we assume that, and I'm going to use the gendered pronoun, he's got it all together. He's got no problems or he knows how to solve things or he's got it all going. And we down here, in my case, female we, like, eh, you know, we're a hot mess. And and I think we see people struggle from below very, very differently. And then I notice that people say that to me, right? Because I'm a, a mid-tier level in the organization. And people say, you've got it all together. And I'm like, mm, actually, I'm a hot mess. And But we don't expose that, I think. I don't know. Do you, do you find that that perception differs based on organizational position? Yeah, I think it can do. I think um, conventionally, we ha- culturally see leaders as they've got it all together, they have all the answers. But I think this needs a challenge because you know, if, if anything, the last year has taught us is that we need leaders who are willing to say we don't have all the answers. 
you know, we need leaders who are um, you know, willing to kind of admit and go, this is new territory. We are in uncertainty right now. We don't have it all together, but here is what we're going to do about that. Rather than leaders who just go, yeah, I've got the answer. Because the ones who are, who are leading with certainty um, are, are basically not open to exploring the unknown. They're not open to learning and discovery. And I think that's the, the, I guess, the downside of the way that we have equated struggle with failure. Um, because yeah, we then see successes like having all the answers, knowing what you're talking about, being the expert, being right. But often, yeah, what we actually need in our leadership is um, a willingness to, to learn, to discover. Um, and there's something really powerful in a leader who will say, do you know what? I don't know, but we're going to figure this out. Um, or even to say, yeah, I'm struggling too. This is really tough. Um, and it's really interesting. I'm going to backtrack a little bit to what Dominic said about um, being the fixer, because even though I am female, I will admit um, I am I, I'm a bit of a fixer, <laughs> you know, especially when it comes to my kids, especially you know, in, when it comes to my job as well. You know, a lot of my job is people get me in to help fix their productivity problems. So, um, you know, I, th- there's part of my identity, which is like, I do enjoy fixing problems for um for clients and and for my kids and interestingly my kids are now getting to the age where um they're they're both kind of well one's very teenage and one's preteen um and I've realized and I wrote about this in the book that I've gone from a position where every time they needed me they needed me to do something I needed to fix something for them to now it's like actually my role isn't to fix everything for them and if they say to me mommy this is hard And if I say, oh, it's not that hard, let me do it for you, or let me fix it for you, what I actually say to them is, it shouldn't be hard. There's something wrong with you if you're finding this hard. So actually, what I need to say is, do you know what, honey, it is hard. Yeah, that does suck. Um, But we can do hard things. And, you know, let's work out what you need to do about that. So I can support you in that rather than fix it for you. And, you know, and I think that's a really, it's been a really important lesson for me to learn as a parent, but I think it's also an important lesson for us to learn if we're leading people, if we're managing people, that um, actually it's not always, when somebody comes to you for support and struggle, it's not necessarily your kind of solution that they need, it's maybe more your compassion, your witnessing, your empathy and your support. That's a very good point. And I should say, by the way, just uh, to clarify for everyone, uh, when I said stereotypically male and stereotypically female, we all contain multitudes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It <laughs> literally is the stereotype that exists. You're off the hook, Dom. It's fine. We know you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> But it's something that also applies, I think, what you just said in organizational psychology. One of the things that has happened over the past year is that organizations have gone through that same process. Uh, you cannot be the centralizing leader and everything has to go through you because that hasn't worked. But on the other hand, new ways of getting stuff done have evolved where people have been able to be productive in different ways from their home offices at untypical hours and all sorts of new projects, new ways of doing things uh, have happened. And you had a quote in a small crisis, power moves to the center, but in a big crisis, it moves to the periphery. And that's something that we talked about on the podcast before in the context of different types of technological projects and the architectures and approaches that might get approved 
in this weird anomalous situation or what we devoutly hope remains anomalous situation as opposed to the much more command and control by the book processes that uh that had been the norm uh, especially in large organizations again uh, until recently that was something that for me uh it links to an, a number of other thoughts about startups and something that gets vilified these days but uh, the, the whole fail fast idea and there are certain types of fail fast that are okay and then there are a bunch of hucksters who took that that idea and ran <laughs> too far and too fast with it but the idea that you can have a little small project and it doesn't matter too much if it fails is fine and in the same way you can have a little bit of struggle because it tells you that you know this thing genuinely is hard it's okay to not just be able to click your fingers and get something done you have to just grind through it sometimes that's okay we can say that this isn't something that just came to me in a flash of inspiration it was uh, overnight success uh, 15 years in the making or whatever the phrase is <laughs> yeah definitely i think um yeah when we see if we see productivity is just about getting stuff ticked off the list as quick as possible we will end up in that position that you said earlier like i'm just going to go send that email because that's something i can tick off the list whereas if we recognize ah I'm struggling with this because it's something new that I'm doing. It's something or it's something new that we're doing. You know, it's a new territory that we're diving into. And, and this is what it looks like. <laughs> you know, struggle is part of the, the, the territory. And you know, then we can see it as a sign that I'm putting my attention in absolutely the right place rather than I'm in the wrong place. I think that that resonates so completely with me. And honestly, I, I will candidly say that I wasn't sure what I was walking into this morning in this podcast, because I was like, oh, God, if somebody looked at productivity in me in a pandemic, I don't even talk about it, right? Like, this is not a topic. And, and as we're having this conversation, I'm, I'm all in, I'm like, you know, liking everything that you're saying here, um, with a thumbs up. But I, I feel like we also assume that productivity means a certain kind of output or a certain kind of progress. And in particular with things that are sort of big struggle items, um, the pace of progress takes time. And, and I don't, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I had a friend who said like, you just sort of let some things happen in the back of your brain sometimes. And that actually generates the progress that you need to overcome things. And it isn't this sort of necessarily brute force, sit down, open the file and freaking do it that's going to get you through. Sometimes you need some weeks to ruminate on the situation. And, and um, I don't think we really account for that kind of work. Mm, yeah, absolutely. The last highlight that I had is actually about exactly that. So I love when these moments happen. So I'm just going to read the quote, productivity is knowing when to work and when to let the work breathe. And breathing is an act of trust. Sometimes you just do need to let it sit and percolate and you'll have that stereotyping once again you have that moment in the shower and you go aha now i know how to finish that thing it is in fact always in the shower though that's like actually 100 percent true <laughs> i actually find this it often happens when washing the dishes and so my recommendation my technological recommendation for the week would be airpods uh especially airpod pros because then you can just shout at uh, your friendly robots to make a note so that you can pick up later you don't even have to take the rubber gloves off. This <laughs> doesn't work in the shower. I actually take my phone into the shower. <laughs> New iPhones, they're IP67, 68. They can, they can stand up. Yeah, we're not talking about this. It's like one button press away from the <laughs> Yeah, make sure where, you, where that webcam's pointing. There. So the, the lower tech version for the shower is um, bath crayons. Ooh. Oh, see, now we're cooking with gas. Yeah. <laughs> 
thought that sounded more like your thing, Lana. Yeah. yeah, I'm known for being low-tech, Dominic. <laughs> well, I think that's a really good point about the kind of walking away and thinking about it. So um, if you look, you know, if we look at sort of innovation and creativity, um, those kind of new connections that we make very rarely come from the moment where we're staring straight at it. It's usually coming, it comes from the periphery. And so we need to kind of almost let it sit in our periphery while we get on with something else. And then our brain goes, ah, there's a connection I can make there. And then you've got this new thought and then you can take it forwards. Yeah, the connection, the inductive yeah. leap. Grace, do you provide any coaching for organizations or do you work with organizations that they reach out to you or anything like that? Yeah, so most of what I do is, um, as a productivity ninja, is I run workshops. So we do workshops on how to be a productivity ninja, getting your inbox to zero, fixing meetings. So all the kind of nitty gritty practical aspects of getting good work done. Wait, you said inbox to zero. That's, is that a joke? I didn't I hear did. you. I didn't, you didn't laugh. No, it's an actual thing. <laughs> yeah, we run a three hour workshop called getting your inbox to zero. And in that time, we show people how and we actually get inboxes to zero. And we have gotten five figure inboxes to zero in that time. Wow. Yes. Wow. Actually, that gives me like low grade anxiety because I'm like, you're never going to apply to me. It's never going to happen. Uh, my personal inbox has crossed over into four figures, but that's because I'm pack writing a bunch of newsletters because I'm totally going to read them someday. One day I'm just going to have to face facts, aren't I? Yeah, like right after you get through Leviticus, you're like, you there know what go. I'm going to do? Read three year old newsletters. <laughs> well, you know, organizations are giving, you know, these work free days, right? Days off, if you will. And, and now I'm seeing like, you know, no email days, no meeting days or no Zoom days. Exactly is what they're saying. The no email day was interesting, a day where you don't send any emails. So I, mean, I think it's top of mind for organizations as well if they're if they're having these kind of uh, these, these these type of days or these type of initiatives. So I think it's uh, but I don't think I can get it to zero. I, I I, no, I'm not sure. My goal is always 30. I'm happy when it's at 30. And then when it's at 50, I get annoyed and I have to get it back down. And so every night it goes back down to 30. And then I feel like I have control over the situation. It's amazingly consistent. That's also where I settle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite often it's, it's if you can see it all on one screen. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have to scroll up and down, because there's, there's something about the human brain, we're not very good at remembering. Our short-term memory isn't great. So if you can't see everything on one screen, your brain will start to go, hang on, what have I missed? What's going to come back and bite me? What have I forgotten to mark and read and, and things like that? So, Literally out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, exactly. So the, the anxiety around email is really interesting. It's, it's basically, um, I remember talking to somebody once who does kind of physical decluttering. And she said that clutter is just basically unmade decisions. Hmm. And so if you've got a whole you know, cluttered up inbox, it's just full of unmade decisions. It's like those ones where it's like, I might get around to reading it at some point but I haven't decided. Or I think there's something I want to do here, but I haven't quite decided what that is. I feel very seen. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what creates the anxiety around email. <laughs> anxiety and the guilt. <laughs> well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I definitely recommend that everyone check out Grace's books, uh, both the previous How to Be Really Productive and the upcoming struggle you know, the surprising truth beauty and opportunity hidden in life's shittier moments i love it uh, so check that out at struggledbook.com or everywhere that uh, good books are sold grace herself you can find at gracemarshall.com on twitter at grace marshall on instagram at grace marshall ninja and we'll also drop her linkedin in the show notes if you want to follow up there 
And I think that's it for this week. We look forward to talking to you all again next week. Thank you once again, Grace, for joining us and best of luck with the book launch. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Grace. And I've ordered the book. There was one left on Amazon and I grabbed the last one. Fantastic. There you go, into a second printing right there. (laughs) 